As we've already expressed, we appreciate so much your being here. Today, of course, is Mother's Day. And, of course, on Mother's Day, you're supposed to start out your Mother's Day sermon with some humorous story or either some heart-wrenching, tear-jerking story. I remember reading about a preacher one time that wanted to improve his ability. So he went to a seminar and heard a well-known speaker who gave a lesson on Mother's Day. And this well-known speaker started out his Mother's Day sermon. And he said, as we begin this morning, I want to tell you, the most important years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. Well, everybody just goes, what? He said she was my mother. And he went on to relate the great influence that his mother had on him. Well, the preacher said, you know, that's a good story. I'm going to use that. So he got up on Mother's Day and he said, brethren, I want to tell you something. The most important years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. Well, you can imagine the little ladies in the church got right up on the edge of their seats. Some of the men were going, oh no. He couldn't remember the way the story went after that. So he said, well, maybe if I back up and go at it again. He said, let me repeat that for emphasis. The most important years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. Well, by this time, you could have heard a pin drop on the carpet. And he still couldn't remember the rest of the story. So he said, well, I'll try one more time. He says, let me repeat it once more for emphasis. The most important years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And to save my life, I can't remember that woman's name. So I'm not going to do that this morning. I am going to tell you that 300 years after the death of the patriarch Joseph, a baby boy was born in Egypt. And the lusty cries of that baby boy were muffled by the sobs of a woman. Because Jochebed's heart was a tangle of joy and fear all at the same time. This little boy... His chubby little fingers forming a tiny fist against her breast was a striking child. He was in fact so striking that Jochebed could hardly believe he was even hers. And tenderly she raised that small chubby little hand to her mouth and pressed its warmth to her lips. And that gesture calmed both her and that baby boy. She could feel the stiffness in her back dissolving. She could feel her muscles relaxing as she watched the night shadows evaporate into the light of early morning. Though Jochebed was a slave, she was a Levite. A woman that belonged to the God of Abraham and Sarah. The God of Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob and Rachel and Leah. She knew the stories. She had heard the stories. She believed the promises that God was faithful. Because hadn't her people already grown 
so numerous as the sand of the sea, just as God had promised that they would? In fact, what had happened is the Israelites had become so numerous that the Pharaohs feared that they might one day welcome in an invading army and betray the nation of Egypt from within. Over time, the Egyptians had tightened their iron-like grip on the Israelites, finally completely enslaving the Israelites. Pharaoh's paranoia finally produced an even greater evil. He had issued a command, a command to murder each Hebrew male child emerging from the womb. See, murdering babies is not a new thing. Pharaoh did it. You go back to Matthew and you'll find out that Herod murdered babies. And, well, I'll stop there because that's another sermon for another day and another time. But you know where that was going, don't you? Pharaoh's paranoia produced the evil of murdering every male Hebrew child that emerged from the womb. But there was a problem. The Hebrew midwives feared God more than they feared the king. And the Hebrew midwives refused to follow his orders. They said, we can't. The Hebrew women are much stronger than the Egyptian women, and they're giving birth before the midwives can even arrive there. So Pharaoh commanded. He ordered his soldiers to search out and smother every newborn male child in the Nile River on a daily basis. Jochebed could hear the screams of mothers in the Hebrew huts around her echoing loudly as their babies were ripped from their arms. Mothers that were inconsolable because of the loss of their children. Her arms tightened quietly and around her own child as he slept at her breast. This one. This one I'm holding, she vowed, will never be fodder for the Egyptian river gods. She and her husband Amram would pray. And they would plan. And they would trust God to help them. For three months, as long as she dared, she hid that infant. She managed to keep his older sister Miriam and three-year-old Aaron quiet about their new baby brother. But finally the day came that she acted on an idea that had been growing in her mind. Pharaoh had commanded that her son be consigned to the river Nile. If that be the case, her own hands would put him in the water. So she laid that baby boy in a basket made of papyrus. And she had sealed that basket of papyrus and waterproofed it with tar and with pitch. With a whispered prayer. And one last caress. She wiped her eyes. She begged God to preserve her baby from the crocodiles that swam the river. I want you to look at that story. I want you to remember that story. 
And I want you to see Jochebed by an eye of faith this morning. She couldn't bear to watch as the baby drifted away from her. But she laid him in the edge of the weeds, the rushes at the river. And young Miriam kept vigil, following at a distance to see what's going to become of her baby brother. Well, it wasn't long before Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, arrived at the riverbank with some of her attendants. And she spotted the basket over there among the reeds. And so the princess sent one of her slave girls to go and fetch the basket. As soon as she saw that little brown-eyed baby, she loved him. The river had brought her a child that she would cherish as her own. Now imagine the surprise of the Egyptian princess when this young slave girl Miriam approached her. And Miriam asked her, she said, Could I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? You have to wonder, don't you? You have to wonder, did the princess suspect the truth? Did she suspect the truth when Jochebed came and gathered that baby in her arms? This time not as his mother, but as his nursemaid? Whatever was in her mind, the Egyptian princess named the child Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. For the next 40 years, the Egyptian princess educated him a prince in the courts of Pharaoh himself. But can you imagine? Can you imagine the anxieties that filled Jochebed's thoughts during those three months before she put that baby in the water? Imagine the cares and the sorrows that belong to a mother and to a mother alone. As the Egyptian soldiers went through the Hebrew encampment there, going from hut to hut, gathering up babies. Can you imagine how her heart skipped a beat so many times as she skirted the edge of disaster? And with each succeeding week, as that little baby grew, her task got more difficult and harder. And imagine the struggle as she faced the possibility of exposure and how she dreaded that. And that's why she was driven to take such decisive action. She could hear those screams on a regular basis. She could hear the cries of the other mothers as their children were ripped from their arms. Maybe her neighbor next door had just lost her child. But with every passing day, she was more and more and more afraid that the servants of Pharaoh would discover her infant and ruthlessly extinguish his delicate life. The conditions of Israel in Egypt had become so wretched that the infants of Israel found no place so dangerous as the place that should have been the safest, the arms of the mother. In Exodus chapter 2 and verses 3 and 4, 
when she could no longer hide him. She took for him an ark of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And this sister stood afar off to watch what would be done to him. Can you imagine what went through her mind? Can you imagine the range of emotions that were going flooding Jochebed's mind as she did that? Those events go straight to the heart of a mother. She was not a calloused person. She was not unnatural. She was not lacking in love. She acted and did what she did out of the very deep intensity of her love. And the princess comes along, the daughter of Pharaoh. She comes to the riverbank to bathe. And we have an impressive illustration of womanly sympathy here. Now, you ladies, mothers, I want to ask you a question. When Jochebed put that baby in that basket and set that basket in the reeds at the edge of the river, do you really think she left it all to chance? Do you really think that's the very first time that Pharaoh's daughter had come to that part of the river to bathe? Don't you imagine that Jochebed had observed the actions of the princess? That basket wasn't just turned loose to float downriver with the current. Verse 3 says it was laid in the reeds at the edge of the bank of the river. And the princess sees it over there. And she sends her slave girl to fetch that basket. And that group gathers it. They lift the lid carefully and they're charmed by the light in the eyes of that beautiful baby's face. Their hearts are touched with the whimper of that baby that misses its mother. That baby that's frightened by the surroundings of the strange faces that are looking at it. And no doubt, the princess immediately guessed the secret. She's in a neighborhood where all the Hebrew huts are. The feature and the complexion of the baby would have been that of the Hebrews. And the very fact of how likely is it a mother would forget her nursing infant and leave it in a basket by accident. All of that pointed to the conclusion that the princess came to. She said, this is one of the Hebrews children. And Pharaoh's daughter knew quite well. She knew how that baby had come to be there. And she also knew something else. That though that baby was there, and though that baby appeared to be forsaken, that waterproof ark had been carefully provided for that baby. In her mind, somewhere in Egypt, she could see a mother, a mother who was speculating on the fate of that baby. So Jochebed comes and takes the baby Moses home to nurse him. How long he stayed in that humble home, we don't know. 
perhaps anywhere from two to possibly as many as four years. But we know this. Moses stayed there long enough to know something of the perils and hardships of his people. And he stayed there long enough for his mother to instill in him during those early formative years some of the sacred traditions of their past. And to tell him of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then we come to another scene that's heart-wrenching. We come to the scene where the princess comes back to the Hebrew huts to claim the baby as her own and take him to the palace. Can you imagine the range of emotions, the highs and the lows of Jochebed that, that happened when the princess comes back? Her mother's heart must have suffered bitterly as she let her boy go into the unknown world behind the gates of the royal palace. Imagine the loneliness of that little household when the last kisses had been given. When the last chubby arms had wrapped around that mother. The last instructions were given. And the last prayer was offered. Imagine the thoughts, the emotions that would have gone through the mind of that small child as he leaves the only home he's ever known. Now bear in mind, the Egypt of that day was a magnificent and beautiful land. The banks of the Nile were covered with cities and villages and stately temples and all the evidences of the most advanced civilization the world had known. The cream of all that Egypt had to offer was poured into the cup of Moses. He was brought up in the palace. He was treated as the grandson of Pharaoh. If he rode through the streets, it was in a princely procession. Amid the cries from servants, bow the knee, bow the knee, as he would have ride in that procession. If he floated on the Nile, it was going to be in a golden barge and not on a basket. If there was anything he wanted, anything he wished for at all, the wealth of Egypt was all within his reach. The Egypt of that day was the playground of the world. Here, every pleasure imaginable could be enjoyed. But I want us to think about something else, too. I want us to think about that princess. Because in telling the story of Moses through the years, what we've often done is overlook the character and compassion of that Egyptian princess. I don't think we've through the years given enough credit to that woman who was Moses' foster mother. The fact that she was a heathen. And the fact that she was the daughter of Pharaoh, the man that commanded all the babies to be murdered, did not prevent her from being a good woman. 
It did not rob her of the heart of a mother. Because it was after all to her. Moses owed his life. When she found that Hebrew baby in that basket in the river, she could have said, well, my father says we should murder these babies and just held him under the water and smothered him in the waters of the Nile. And she didn't. She took him to the palace and she raised him as her own. And it was to her, Moses owed the fact that he'd been educated in the royal universities. But while it was the goodness and the compassion of an Egyptian princess that saved his life, it was the faith of his mother Jochebed that actually saved Moses. Because you see, when you turn over to the Hebrew letter, you read in Hebrews 11 that Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. When Moses came to years, he chose not to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but to become the son of a Hebrew slave. Don't you know that that disappointed that princess? Who had brought him to the palace and given him everything that Egypt had to offer? Brought him up as her own son. And I'm quite sure that this was a difficult choice for Moses to make. Moses is the most humble man we read about in the Old Testament. He was a man with a big heart. A man with a loving heart. And it was no doubt hard for someone as big-hearted as Moses to disappoint someone who had helped him and had loved him as tenderly as the Egyptian princess had. But instead of the riches and the abundance of Egypt, Moses chose suffering. He doesn't dream for a moment he's going to have an easy time when he identifies with that horde of slaves. He knows there are going to be battles to fight. He knows there are going to be heavy burdens to bear. But with eyes wide open to all that's involved, Moses chooses, chooses to suffer affliction with the people of God. And the writer of Hebrews says he did that because he had his eye on the reward. How did Moses come to make that choice? How did he come to turn his back on all the wealth of Egypt and make the decision to suffer the afflictions he was going to suffer with God's people? No doubt it goes back to those early formative years that his mother Jochebed had him in her home. No doubt as... She nursed that baby. She told him stories of his people. She would have told him about the promises of God. About the promises of Abraham. About the people like Isaac and Jacob that had lived with faith in God's promises. Because of her influence. 
He looked away from everything Egypt had to offer. And he looked to the coming reward that he would get by serving God. He believed the future belonged not to the sin of Egypt, but to the righteousness of God. Moses gave up the passing, the temporal, the temporary, for the wealth that endures throughout all eternity. Think about children. Who reads that first Bible story to that child? That first Bible story isn't read in a cradle row class. And 99 out of 100 times, Daddy is not the one that reads that first Bible story to that baby either. It's Mommy. Who sings Jesus loves me to that child for the very first time? It's Mother. In fact, Norma sang it to Bryant so often as he was going to sleep that she would start singing it and he'd say, No, 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 not that song. Moses owed his life to an Egyptian princess, a foster mother. He owed his eternal life to his real mother, a Hebrew slave named Jochebed. We have to make sure, fathers and mothers, that we teach our children, our grandchildren, to make proper choices. To make the kind of choices Moses did. Now here's the question before the house this morning. Have you made those proper choices yourself? Have you made the choice this morning that Jesus Christ is going to be Lord and Master of your life? You see, if He's not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. Have you ever made that choice? If you've never made that choice and given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, I beg you to do it today. I beg you to come in simple trust and faith, believing in Christ with all your heart, turning your back on sin through repentance, confessing His name, and being buried in the waters of baptism. But maybe you've done that. You haven't lived God's kind of life. haven't lived it God's way. You need to come back home so that you can say with Moses that you have respect to the reward. The lesson is done. The decisions are yours. The invitation is that of the Lord as we stand and while we sing.